to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you have trouble deciding between Just One More Cupcake and Just One More Kettlebell Swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shawflam. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person, and Daphne is not here this week because I am speaking with a special guest. Before we begin, remember to talk to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any workout or nutrition plan. Um, also, an invitation to join us on Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get first access to all, our, all of our events. Our, we shout you out on the website and on the show. You can get stickers, very cool, uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, you can go to justonemorepodcast.com and click become a patron at the top of the page to get all the information on that. Uh, so today we have a guest, uh, and she's going to talk about something we talk about all the time on the show, but never with any sort of expertise or <laughs> experience. Um, and uh, our guest is uh, psychotherapist Lindsay Pratt. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> sure. Thank you for coming. Um, so uh, I always like to start off just by asking who you are and what you do. Cool. Well, so I'm Lindsay Pratt, <laughs> and as you mentioned, I'm a psychotherapist. Uh, I am in a private practice in New York City, and then I also uh, own and operate, co-own and operate a group practice here. Cool. Yeah. Um, so are you what people talk about when they say, like, oh, my therapist, blah, blah, blah? <laughs> yep, that's me. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yes, indeed. Awesome. Um, and so... Uh, how did you come to do the work that you do? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting because I, I, it's fairly rare, but I've known for most of my life what I want to do career-wise, and that's the rare part, I think. Um, I was always the person at all-girls sleepovers who would, you know, gravitate towards the one girl having a tough time with her parents or, you know, wasn't keeping up in school, and I always wanted to be with that person, sit with that person, help them. Um, and so it's, it's just felt like a long road of me knowing that I want to be in a helping profession of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you, well, I guess another way to ask this question is what does the education path look like for, for, uh, the kind of work that you do. Yeah. Um, so because I knew that I wanted to get into this field roughly, uh, my undergrad is in psychology and sociology, which isn't mandated, but that was, you know, step one, I guess. Um, and then my master's is in counseling psychology, which I took some time off between the two. And I bartended, which I always joke is free therapy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then I went to school. It's a two and a half year master's, uh, generally two and a half or three years. Uh, and mine was in counseling psychology, whereas some psychotherapists have their master's in uh, social work. Okay. But it ends up being a similar career path if they want it to be. Cool. Yeah. And then how do you get from the point where you're like in school studying to the point where you're seeing patients in an office? Yeah. So <laughs> that's that's the longest road or it feels like it. Um, it's a very important road to be on. But essentially it starts with clinical internships and seeing clients in a supervised capacity, uh, somewhat in a school setting while you're in grad school. Then beyond that, it's 3,000 hours of being with clients in the state that you're going to become licensed in, meeting for supervision weekly. And beyond that 3,000 hours, then you become licensed after taking a state board exam. And wow. that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so in some ways, it's like, I'm just trying to think of what it compares to in most people's understanding of how jobs work. Yeah. It's a little bit similar 
to like a cross between student teaching and what doctors do when they're sort of like doing rounds and or you know when residencies residencies and, yeah, yeah totally yeah cool um and and now you have we're in your office right now yes. it's very lovely <laughs> thank you <laughs> it's a very pleasant place to be Thanks. um so uh, I wanted to have you on the show because Daphne and I have talked about going to therapy, quote unquote, over and over and over on the show. Yeah. Um, but uh, we haven't really talked about what that really looks like. What um, are some signs that you might benefit from going to therapy? What kinds of therapists there are? Um, and I think a lot of people who haven't uh, been to a therapist have like a very movified, like movie-fied version totally. in their minds of what that looks like. Totally. They're like, oh, I'm going to be talking to like an ancient guy, yeah. and I'm going to be on a couch. An old bald white dude, and yeah. I'm laying on the couch, and he's sitting in the corner. Yeah. going to be describing my dreams. Yes, totally. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about like what it actually looks like. Yeah. Um, at least in, in your practice, because there are a lot of different kinds of experiences that get lumped into the word therapy, right? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, there are definitely a lot of different types of therapy. I'm of the frame of mind that anyone can benefit from therapy, anyone and everyone, Um, at least at some points in their life. It doesn't necessarily, you know, part of the TV portrayal, I think, is that people are stuck on the couch for 35 years and Uh they're just digging deeper and deeper and there's no bottom to the well. And Um, I don't know that that's necessarily true for a lot of people. And I think, you know, therapy can be very effective long term. It can also be very effective in a short stint of time. So um, in here, you know, I generally encourage people who maybe just like you and me, um, who want greater clarity on something that may be going on in their life. It's really helpful for figuring out patterns that may be popping up, you know, similarities between workplace relationships, romantic relationships, friendship relationships, and seeing like, where am I the common thread? What can I do to work through this, to have a healthier outlook on this? Um, So my main concept of therapy is that it's really a tool for clarity and movement in your life and growth and being willing to introspect and kind of look at that stuff. And that can be for anybody. Yeah. I think there, there is this idea that therapy is only for people in crisis. Yeah. So um, I think sometimes people tell themselves, oh, I don't need therapy because I'm able to function in my everyday life. Yeah. Um, and obviously, if you are unable to function in your everyday life, definitely like yeah. sign yourself up. Um, but uh, I think you know, what you're sort of describing is like, if there's, if there are things that you would like to be more awesome about your relationships or your working life, or just sort of how you're moving through the world, therapy can be a great tool for getting there. Yeah. Um, so you don't, you know, I think there's that, there's an idea that I have to be like, quote, crazy in order to have sort of earned the right to need therapy. Yeah. But like, there's a whole bunch of stuff wrong with that sentence, but mostly like, there's no gatekeeper. Yeah. Like, if you're if you think it might help you, go like go for it. You get to. Yeah. It doesn't require a prescription. Yeah. And I think of it as any other tool to getting to know yourself better. And like, there's really nothing wrong with that. There's nothing selfish about that. I believe that we all inherently deserve to know ourselves as best as we can. And 
and be willing to grow in that sense. So you don't have to wait till you hit rock bottom to do that. <laughs> totally. Well, I noticed we are sitting on a couch yes. in your office. So Busted. that is what, but it doesn't look so long that like, no. I mean, I could probably lie down on this couch, but yeah. it looks like most people are probably sitting up in your office. Yeah. And I'm 5'11", so it's not going to fit me. <laughs> um, so what does it look like when someone comes in for a session with you? Well, so for the first session, uh, which is called the intake, it's basically gathering information and also more importantly than that is just beginning to establish the relationship. So I always, you know, right up front, put it out there like, hey, how you feeling? How are you feeling about being here in this wacky space where we're <laughs> sitting here and it's all about you and you're opening up to me? That must feel some, some type of way. Um, so I think that is to be expected. Feeling nervous is to be expected because it's like anything else where you're sharing time and space with a complete stranger and trying to feel as relaxed as you can about it. So a lot of it in the beginning is just us getting to know each other hopefully finding a connection and then getting to the deeper work when it's time. <laughs> um, and then as, as we're going, it, it does sound like, um, at least in one version of what you do, it's a lot of conversation, yeah. basically like talking about what's going on and, and trying to get insights that way. Yeah, it is. And I think the place that it differs, um, it is a lot of conversation. It's also an effective therapist needs to be willing to challenge a client and really help them push them in, you know, in ways that will help them grow in a way that's not overly intense, but that is perhaps different than just chatting with a friend about something where they're giving 100% unconditional support and never challenging you on different viewpoints. And I think um, it's a nice balance between those two things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a good relationship with a therapist, they should be able to challenge you and but also be supportive <laughs> exactly yeah. Um, yeah and you have to have both like it doesn't feel safe to be challenged I mean even in normal life when you think about it it's it doesn't feel safe to be challenged by someone who you don't think has your back or your best interests at heart so um the connectedness and the support is definitely very important as well mm -hmm. yeah and there's so much I mean the whole point I think of um talking to someone whether professionally or you know, just looking for advice with friends or, or something like that is that they can offer perspective you don't have. Um, because I think a lot of us have had the experience of like churning over the same yes. things in our brains over and over and over. Um, and sometimes it just takes someone else saying like, hey, that thing you're saying and over and over, like, can we look at that again? Yeah. Um, because uh, that doesn't ring the same way to me as I think it does to you. Um, can you tell I'm also a licensed therapist? Yeah. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> You're hitting the nail on that though. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah that, that, um, it's about having someone who can say like, whoa, hold up. Like, let's talk about that thing you just said. Yeah. And, and, uh, put a little magnifying glass on that. Yeah. And without bias too, cause that's a big piece of, mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody gives their own feedback based on their own life experiences and everything like that. And part of the piece of being in therapy is that hopefully an effective therapist will not dump their own problems on you or give you, you know, this very square advice on how to do something because that's really not what it's about. It's about the client figuring out what they need to do for themselves because I believe that everybody has that in them. Yeah. Yeah. So within the world of, um, well, first of all, I have managed to become an adult without understanding the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. Yeah. 
Yeah. Can you explain what that difference yeah, is? Yeah, so there's a lot of different mental health practitioners. Um, psychiatrists go through a full med school, um, and they're the only ones who are able to prescribe medication. Okay. Um, psychologists go also through a med school track. Um, generally, they have some sort of a PhD. It may be in counseling psychology, which isn't med school, but anyway... Um, they have a doctorate and then master's level psychotherapists uh, are generally in the state of New York either licensed mental health counselors, which is what I am. Uh, my master's is in counseling psychology or a master's in clinical social work and then they become LCSWs. So uh, LMHCs, LCSWs and psychologists all generally do the same thing if they want to be psychotherapists, whereas psychiatrists, it's going to be a much shorter appointment. They're really getting the diagnosis there and then doling out medication. Got it. Yeah. So if I am signing up to see you, I don't even really need to worry about like, I'm like going to walk out of there with a prescription and I'm going to have to deal with like meds because that's not what you do. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Not to say that uh, meds aren't a great yeah, uh, part of good, treatment for yeah. a lot of people. Um, I only ask that because I think a lot of people, if they have fear about going into therapy, one of their fears is like, I'm going to have to make a decision about medication. Yeah. Um, and guess what? If you talk to Lindsay or people like her, you don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least not right away. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's very helpful. Um, what range of issues are people um, thinking about when they come in to see you? Um, sort of what, what kinds of things might be bringing someone in? Yeah, so specifically to my practice, because of areas that I'm trained in and focus in, I work a lot with people who uh, have sexual trauma in their past, are working through relationships. I see couples, so whether they're working on the relationship themselves or with their partner. Um, I also work with people who have a lot of family of origin stuff, meaning that the family that they grew up in, even if they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, still has a big emphasis on their life now, um, whether that be a cultural component or there's some trauma back there or there's divorce stuff or whatever it is. Um, and then generally, you know, it's kind of across the board. I work with a lot of people that have anxiety and depression. Um, a lot of people, like I said, that are just trying to understand patterns and work through their relational experiences. Um, and then honestly, living in New York, there's a lot of just hacking through the city, career stuff, um, figuring out loneliness, cultivating new friendships, trying to find connection. And so those are some of the commonalities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it really ranges from, like I was sort of describing before, from people who are in a moment of crisis to people who are having problems that like on some level, probably most of us yeah. <laughs> are experiencing oh, yeah. or, or have experienced at some point. And the city seems to be going through the same things at the same time. It's oh, really? Wild. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll see people where, you know, everybody's coming in and then at one time they're struggling with their romantic partners and then the next week everybody's <laughs> freaking out and they want to quit their jobs and there's a wave. It's, it's That's very so interesting. funny. Yeah. Um, I was, I'm from Minnesota and I was talking to a friend once who um, uh, was on uh, uh, some sort of medicine for uh, depression and she was feeling really good and she went in and said to her doctor like i'm you know i'm thinking of like you know maybe starting to see if we can go off the medication and she was like cool i'm glad you're feeling great i don't take anyone off of medication in minnesota in the winter 
Like, I just don't do it. The winters so, like, are just too dark. Yeah, 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 we can talk when the sun comes back. But, like, <laughs> my friend was like, That's oh, that great. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> the weather is a real thing. Yes, it is. When it comes to mood. Um, what are some of the signs that we can look for or sort of, like, listen for in our own lives that might indicate to us that um, going into therapy might be useful? Are there like patterns that we might recognize in ourselves or um, frustrations or, I'm not exactly sure how else to describe that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's clear. I mean, I think one of the big ones is, am I stuck on something, whether it be a pattern or a thought that I keep having over and over, where it's feeling, it's creating discomfort in my life and it just feels like it's been going on for too long and Mm -hmm. that that may be a sign of like because there is a lot that a person can do to work themselves out of stuff and get in a better place but if that hasn't happened yet don't hesitate to reach out for help Mm -hmm. you know yeah um I uh my main therapy experience happened in college I was in college for musical theater and uh this is like a classic theater student experience, which is that I was having problems in my acting class where uh, I just seemed to be blocked. Um, And uh, my teacher asked to meet with me out of class. And what he wanted to say was that he thought I could benefit from therapy. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Especially because like I was always an A student. And so to be told like something I had done in class was indicating to the teacher that I might need therapy. I was like, what does this mean? Um, But uh, I went to NYU and uh, the school that I was in had um, therapists who specifically worked with people in the arts school, um, which was nice because, uh, they had like some baseline understanding of the kinds of things that 18 year olds who are in uh, art school are dealing with. Um, And, uh, and uh, we also had free sessions included with our tuition. So pay attention to that. If you are a college student, maybe you get this for free. It's very common. Uh, Yeah. So uh, I went in and had, I think three sessions. I was totally freaked out the first one because I was like, what am I about to discover about my problems? And I actually only saw her, I think, three or four times because basically what she reflected back to me was that I was not having any fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I was so concerned about doing things correctly that I wasn't able to do anything at all. Um, And, you know, that may be a simpler and faster journey than a lot of people have with therapy. But for me, it was pretty profound um, because I... I did change how I was looking at my experience in school. Um, my work changed immediately. Yeah. Um, it also changed my relationship because at the time I was long distance from my boyfriend, now husband. And I was like, I just get so frustrated when I text him and he doesn't text me back. And she was like, have you told him that? There we go. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I can just say it? Yeah. She was like, uh-huh. Um, and now we're married, so it's great. Beautiful. Um, but you know, it's, you know, it sounds silly or simple, except that that's what it took for those things to happen for me. Um, and uh, yeah, I wasn't like, uh, you know, I didn't think think of myself as being in crisis or not being able to like deal with my life. Um, but I did have that feeling of being stuck, um, especially work-wise. Um, 
so I like that sort of description as feeling like uh, I'm like churning the same thing over and over instead of sort of moving forward and through things. Yeah. When finding a therapist. Yes. (laughs) The big question. So, um, you know, I've seen, uh, especially as I've become more connected to health and wellness things on the internet and also social justice stuff on the internet. Um, one thing that I've been seeing a lot is that, um, We've, so there's, there's stigma about mental health. Um, in a lot of ways, we're still figuring out as a culture how to talk about mental health as part of our health. Yeah. Um, can we talk about that to start? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been... Uh, it's been interesting, all of the stuff that's been swirling around recently in the media, the Me Too movement. I think it's um, it can be very triggering, actually, for a lot of my clients who have gone through similar things. But I think, on the whole, it's so promising. It makes me very hopeful. Even celebrities, you know, speaking about addiction issues, mental health issues. Um, and I hope that the tide is turning. It's also interesting being in New York City because it's much less stigmatized here than it is in rural Midwest or you know in the South where I used to live in New Orleans. Um, so I have hope that it continues becoming less stigmatized. And um, I would say that what we can all do about it is speak about it more. If you see a therapist, don't be afraid to you know. And and this is of course to your own comfort level of sharing, but. Um, anecdotally funny things happen in this office too you know what I mean like share the share the joyful moments if you want share the painful moments with people you trust if you want but um, let it be known that it is a tool that's out there and that there's nothing wrong with you for utilizing it um, it seems to me like the messages about or the messages that stigmatize mental health include sort of like those aren't real problems or it's like indulgent to uh treat those uh, feelings as uh, real problems. Um, also, like people like us don't have that. Um, I think that can, can often be a cultural concern, whether it's that like your family is a military family and so stoicism is important yeah. or have to do with like your race or cultural background. Yeah. Um, so those are some of the things that I know, some of the ways that message sort of gets put across of like, we don't, we don't do that. Definitely. Um, and obviously the more people from those groups who feel comfortable talking about it, the less that is the case. Um, I think there's also a feeling of like, if I get help, it means I have problems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that this confirms it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Busted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say to that busted, we all have problems, you know, <laughs> because we're human beings with a pulse. And I think that's, an important thing to consider of like there's so much of it kept under wraps and there's such a cultural thing and a social thing where we all walk around and say oh I'm fine I'm doing great and it's it's just not true for part of the time because we're humans we're not robots you know everything isn't always fine (laughs) it can also be really painful to admit that um you know I I understand why people do say you know, I have it together, I'm doing fine. And it's not just because, oh, I don't want anyone to know I have problems. But it, you know, sometimes it feels easier not to dig into the problems. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
it's super confronting to mm-hmm. look at that stuff. And I think it has to, you know, it's interesting because earlier we spoke about feeling like you need to hit rock bottom before going to therapy. And I almost encourage the opposite of when you're feeling your healthiest and your strongest, that's where it may be helpful to dig into painful childhood stuff. Or, you know, I work with a lot of clients in recovery and, and looking at past substance abuse stuff that may have been worked through. But it is, it's hard to admit that everything's not fine and it takes a lot of strength and, um, going to therapy in, in stronger moments or stronger chapters may be a way to do it as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so when we are in that place of, of wanting to find a therapist, um, where do we start? Yeah. So there's a national database that is great called psychologytoday.com. Um, that's usually my go-to for sending people to just because it's super comprehensive I don't know any therapists in the city who don't have a listing on psychology today. So if they're out there, they're probably on it. Um, And you can also filter by what you want to work on. You can filter by gender, uh, ethnicity. You can filter by insurance. You can do all kinds of different filters for it. So that's a helpful tool. And then I also think, you know, again, with ending the stigma and being open about it, some of the most wonderful referrals I have from are from current clients and they refer new clients and I'm like, yeah, I love you. And now you (laughs) get to work with your friends or family or whoever. Um, So I think that if you know someone who goes to therapy and finds it to be very effective, especially with knowing that therapy is totally confidential, ask for that person's name and then go see them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's an interesting question because I think sometimes people feel like, oh, I have to go to a therapist who's like totally separated from every part of my life. But you like, can't talk about what you talk about with clients with anybody else right I can't even confirm like when someone sends me a referral I don't even mention it because it's not you know that's a private thing and they chose to do that and I'm very appreciative for it but that that ends the the discussion about the fact that these two people are best friends or roommates or whatever it's that's it Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah um uh so I'm looking on psychology today yeah um do I need to think at all about sort of like what, um, like how people practice or is there a way just in terms of like finding a person who I feel like is like what they do is going to be a good like vibe for me? Is there a way to do that other than just by meeting people or? So there are different, like uh, they're called theoretical orientations of how people practice. I can give a quick blurb about two that might be important because they're, you know, talked about in the media and things like that. Mm -hmm. Psychoanalytic is going to be the traditional Freudian style laying down potentially in the corner on the couch, um, going really in depth into childhood moments, family relationships and things like that. And that is an older style of psychotherapy, but is still very much alive and well in New York City. So if you're looking for a really deep dive and going back, psychoanalytic can be helpful. Person centered essentially just means that the therapist and the client believe that one of the catalysts for change is the actual relationship between the therapist and the client. So if you're looking for a more fluid, um, you know, that relationship feeling between yourself and the therapist, that may be a way to go is to search person-centered. And all of these are options on psychology today. But more importantly than that, I always suggest to people to set up what 
should be if the therapist is doing a good job, should be a free phone consultation with the therapist. And almost everyone offers that a quick, you know, 10, 15 minute chat to see if the vibe is there. That way you don't have to go in and interview with 10 different therapists cold without knowing what their style is like. So um, that's always something you can ask on a phone call. It's like, how do you work with clients? What's your vibe? And then just feel if there's a vibe in the phone mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I hate talking about myself yeah. or if I find that, which obviously I don't, I do this for a living, but, uh, say I am a different, totally different kind of person. And the idea of sitting in a chair across from a stranger and talking about my feelings is like totally repulsive. Um, are there other ways of getting at some of the same stuff? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because if the listeners could see my uh, office right now. I do a style of therapy called sand play therapy, and it is for adults. Um, but it's a process of basically creating your world out of these miniature objects that I have on my wall in a tray of sand, and then we process it from there. So it's a little bit different. Um, that's one style. It's not super common, but it's out there. I receive real training in it. It's not, <laughs> not a fake modality. Um, art therapy is another good one for things like that. And then group therapy can be great for that too, because, um, it's very experiential. You're in there with other people who are processing their stuff. So it's not so much that the heat is all on you for the whole hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually run groups here as well and I love group therapy. So that's another option. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought about group therapy in that way that one of the benefits is that it's not all focused, like the spotlight isn't on you totally. all the time. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot you can learn by like listening to other people exactly. having their experiences. Yeah, you're basically live having multiple therapy sessions at once where the other clients are also helping to be the therapist and helping people work through their stuff. So it's actually, I mean, it's really a beautiful experience. I love group therapy. Cool. Yeah. Um, once I have uh, found some therapists, I've done some phone consultations, the next question, and honestly, this is probably a lot of people's first question, is paying for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because I think if you ask people, like, what's the second thing you know about therapy after the, like, lying on the couch with an old bald guy, uh, they would say it's expensive. Yeah. Um, so what does paying for it look like? Yeah, so there's a couple of different options. Um Insurance is getting better in our modern day for covering therapy. Um, That can either look like what's called in-network coverage or out-of-network coverage. Um, So an in-network clinician, it's like a doctor's appointment. You just go up there, it's totally covered. Potentially a small copay is owed, but otherwise it's covered by your insurance. Um, Out-of-network is what I do here, which is that I provide clients with what's called a super bill that then they submit for reimbursement and get the money reimbursed directly to them for the sessions that they've paid up front. Um, I would say about half my caseload is able to get out-of-network reimbursement, so some of the good insurance plans certainly offer it. Um, And then the other option is what's called sliding fee, which generally uh, I have a group practice here called Intuitive Healing Psychotherapy, uh, and we do sliding fee scale, which basically means that if there is financial need, we'll slide the cost and hopefully find a spot that works. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is expensive. I, I always share with people that I think it's one of the most important investments that you can possibly make in yourself. I mean, it's your mind, it's your health, it's your outlook, it's your, you know, the psychology of what makes you you. So um, I do think it ends up being worth it. And yeah, figuring out 
the amount that works for you is important as well, including mm-hmm. insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, with um, practitioners in other areas that we've had on the show, one of the things they've talked about is that like insurance is great. Um, it also limits some of what you can do. Obviously, if you're paying out of pocket, the world is your oyster. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's something that you sort of have to balance what works for you. If you're using your insurance, that um, m- may bring the cost down by quite a bit. It also might mean that there are only certain people you can see or you might only be able to see them a certain number of times. Is exactly. that sometimes a, an issue? Yeah, it caps. It can cap the number of times that you see them, uh, not going more than once a week, sometimes having an annual cap on appointments. Um, and then it also mandates a diagnosis, which, uh, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm of the mindset, like I said, that anybody at any time could benefit from therapy um, and someone doesn't always necessarily walk in with a very firm clinical diagnosis, but insurance companies do mandate that. Interesting. Yeah. So if I go with my insurance and see a therapist for the first time and they're like, you don't have clinical depression or anything else that we can like, you know, pin on you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I might actually have trouble getting insurance to to pay for my sessions. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. And that, yeah, that makes it a little murky because it's hard uh, from the clinician side as well to diagnose someone in one session. Like sure. it's, it's not really a realistic model, but unfortunately that's where our healthcare model is at right now. So mm-hmm. um, I hope it moves away from that in the future. Like for example, also couple sessions often aren't covered by insurance because they say, what's the diagnosis in that? And I say, your marital health, that's so important, yeah. you know? But um, yeah, it's it's interesting territory for sure. Um, but there are um, a lot of places that you can look for sliding scale fees, or um, I think more and more cities are uh, able to um, give you information about access to lower cost care. Um, so, I would, I would hope, I would say like, I can't guarantee anything, but hopefully there are options wherever you are for something that will work with what your sort of current financial situation is. Yeah. Um, and also like, I think we're hesitant to spend money on ourselves in certain aspects that we are not at all hesitant to spend in other aspects. Like, you know, we'll buy new clothes and then be like, ah, but I can't afford to go to the doctor. Yeah. It's like, well... You, not that you don't get to have new clothes, but sometimes you it's have to go balance. to the doctor. <laughs> yeah, it's all about balance, totally. <laughs> um, when we're, once we're in the process of seeing a therapist, are there things that you recommend that help us not like be good patients, but um, make the most of the time and the money that we're spending? Totally. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because <laughs> I think that's a big piece of it. Um, You know, it's interesting because a lot of therapy does end up being kind of a subconscious process where you're here and things sort of float to the surface. But I always suggest to clients who get stuck on that or have trouble talking about themselves or they're having trouble digging into things because it might be painful or whatever's going on with them um, to keep a little log throughout the week of whatever pops up that may be helpful for them to process in therapy. Because sometimes, you know, I'll see someone on a Monday their their most tumultuous moment of the week happens to be 
on Monday, three hours after our appointment. And then the whole week has passed and they're kind of like, all right, what, what am I working on here? What am I doing? Um, so I think that's a big one. I'm very pro on journaling in general. I've journaled my entire life and I always think that that's a great supplement to working on therapy, especially because it uh, creates a live log basically of what you're working on, what you're going through that you can then look back on, see your progress, see where you still might be stuck a year out. Um, and then always, always, I suggest to people go where you feel uncomfortable because that's where all the good growth is. So if there's something that you notice that you're actively avoiding telling me that, <laughs> that might be where we need to dig in and or process why you're avoiding telling me. And that might be something in our relationship. Like it's always okay to be very honest with your therapist about the resistance that you might be having, but, um, going where it feels a little like, that's, that's where the stuff is. Yeah. yeah. Um, am I going to cry in therapy? Some people do. A lot of people <laughs> do. Some people don't at all. I mean, it, it can be whatever you make of it. It doesn't necessarily... Uh, therapy, I think one of the misconceptions is that therapy is so dark and it's not fun. I mean, my clients, we often, they cry. We laugh together a lot in the sessions and um, it can be light and playful some weeks. It can be, you know, really dark and intense other weeks. So it just depends on the person and what they're working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, are there things you say, like, maybe don't have your session, like, right before a big meeting? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's always tough because I try, we all in New York City try to accommodate people in evening time slots, but some people, you know, come during their lunch break and then have to go right back. Um I think if you're slogging through stuff, I do a lot of grief grief work for recent death, trauma work, things like that. It may not be best to come in the middle of the day if you feel like it's going to be really emotionally draining or particularly difficult to go back to. You may want to find someone who can take you on at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, once I have... Uh met a therapist or have had a few sessions how can I tell if it's if it's a good fit if it's uh, a successful yeah. uh, uh, client relationship or what however you, client sounds so I don't know dry yeah, yeah but, it does uh, <laughs> how do I know if it's a good fit for me and if it's not what do I do yeah that's a great question um, so generally I always share with people that The first session, you may be nervous, similarly to going on a new, like a first date with someone or meeting your partner's parents for the first time or, you know, going to coffee with a brand new friend where you have only met them briefly and then you guys are having your first date of sorts. Um, I think nerves are definitely a part of it, but with all of those experiences and hopefully in the first couple of sessions of, of therapy, you still feel comfortable with that person, safe with that person, and that there's some sort of connection there. If those things aren't in place, it's going to be really hard for you to open up and you know have that willingness to get vulnerable about things. Um, so I would say first session may be a little clunky, but if by the second session you're not feeling like things are getting a little bit more fluid and you're feeling safe to go wherever you need to go, it's probably a fit issue more so than anything else. Um, and if that's the case, I think you can be very honest with us. <laughs> I mean, therapists encourage honesty. It's important to be willing to what I call peacefully confront things. Um, so don't hesitate to just drop us a line and say, hey, I don't think it was a great fit. I'm going to I'm going to keep looking around or 
um, sharing what happened there. And I think that's totally reasonable because we want it to feel like a good fit too. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're together every week <laughs> for an indefinite length of time or even a short amount of time. And it's, it's important for that connection to be there. It's so important. Um, speaking of, uh, of how often, yeah. uh, you're seeing people, um, how often am I likely to be seeing my therapist? Yeah, so it differs depending on generally a mix of the therapist's preferences and the client's preferences. The way that I do it in my practice is that I start with everyone on a weekly basis. Uh, If they want to come in twice a week, that's potentially fine too. Um, But I don't start less frequently than that, only because it does take time for the relationship to develop and for the trust to build and to be able to get into the meat of the stuff of whatever a person's coming in for. So uh, with that being said, over time, you know, I've been in private practice in New York City for a few years now. And over time, my clients that started with me at the very beginning have perhaps dropped down to every other week. Some of them come in once a month. Some of them call me when things arise in their life. And all of those are totally appropriate to me. But starting with sporadic appointments, you're probably not going to get what you're looking for mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as really seeing outcomes and change and growth and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And earlier you mentioned this idea of like, ah, oh, I'm going to be like stuck on the couch for 30 years. Um, I think like that fear of like, if I start, it will never stop. Yeah. Um, how do you encourage people to look at sort of like the life of their therapy? Yeah. Well, it's something that ethically should be talked about often, you know, in that uh, ethically it's our job to not see people for their whole lives if we don't think that they need it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the really beautiful things about therapy is that it can and should be an ongoing conversation of like, hey, what are you getting out of this? How are you feeling about this? Like, let's talk about how far you've come and where you feel like you're at and what you need at this time. So um are there people who enjoy working on themselves for their entire lives absolutely will the work look different throughout sure um it might be very light at times it might be deeper at other times so i think that's totally appropriate and and honesty is a big piece of that on both sides and it's it's fine Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think sometimes people i've heard people talk about like quote unquote like breaking up with their therapist um and ideally that's something that like both pe- both parties should want if if it's the right time, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think it is hard because you build an emotional relationship, especially because you are probably talking about things with a therapist that you don't talk about with anybody else. Yeah. It's it's definitely a um, there's a closeness on both sides to it and mm-hmm. you know, I'll have people terminate cuz they move away and that's a tough session for both of us, you know. It's it's very uh, it does go deep, and, and that's the beauty in it, I think. But as far as breaking up goes, sometimes it has to happen, like in life and any relationship. And, um, yeah, it's just part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you suggest people think about their therapist in terms of sort of their lives? And I ask that because um, I think people often have developed, like, weird feelings about their therapist, either, like, Oh, like I want my therapist to become my friend yeah. or um, like, oh, I feel like my therapist is like my surrogate parent yeah. or uh, I can see a lot of ways where when you're talking about things that are like so deep and so emotional that that relationship can get confusing. Yeah. It, get, it definitely gets close and can be confusing. I think the big thing is to think about it as far as um, the 
the interest or desire might be there to cultivate a friendship outside of the office or a parent-child relationship. But if that happened, it changes the relationship and the sanctity of the therapist-client relationship forever, you know? So um, there are all sort of all sorts of ethical mandates around that for us, but also for clients just considering how beneficial it is to have someone hopefully that isn't in their world in a frenzy way i think um it's totally normal to feel that way and we feel it too like every therapist i know has clients on their caseload where it's like drats i wish i could be friends with that person Mm -hmm. um but it, it just goes along with the territory of it being what i feel is a very sacred relationship yeah yeah um it's sort of like that uh really good friend who, uh, if you dated them, it might ruin the friendship. Yeah, totally. If you're a really good therapist, and if you friended them, it might ruin the therapy. Yeah, we call it dual relationships, and that's the mm. ethical piece, is that, like, you can't have dual relationships um, with a therapist or with a client in that I couldn't uh, then become someone's babysitter or do something like that for their, their family or their themselves outside of outside of the therapy relationship Mm -hmm. yeah and that's pretty different from um some of the other relationships I'm thinking about in my life that are like a little bit similar like I mean Daphne being a great example uh you know uh she we do uh like wellness coaching together and in that case it's okay that she's also my friend because uh therapy is a different beast just like it, it well I don't even know if it would be as weird to be friends with my doctor as it would to be with my therapist because they're talking about like the physical. Yeah. It's just so emotionally close. You know, it's yeah. Hmm. So interesting. Um, well I, I feel like, um, in listening to you talk about it, it seems a lot less intimidating to start seeing a therapist (laughs) so that's great yeah um uh, do you have anything else you would say to people who are like looking at starting the journey of therapy or are uh yeah I guess basically looking to start yeah I would say you know if it feels daunting if it feels scary dip your toe in the water start slow just start poking around out there and seeing who's out there that might be a good fit and then just keep in mind that with your own therapeutic work you're in the driver's seat. Like you, you really should feel like that. You deserve to feel like that. So if you come up on some stuff that feels really intimidating or intense, or that it's not the time in your life that you want to dig into past trauma stuff or whatever, you don't have to, you know, we're not here to push you in such a way that you feel like you hate coming in or that you're not ready. And so it's definitely the balls in your court to make it whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And there isn't only one good therapist. Like, um, if you're seeing someone who you like in a lot of ways, but you're starting to feel like you're not moving forward or they're, you feel like they're pushing you to deal with something that you're not interested in dealing with. Um, that's not your last shot at an effective therapy relationship. Um, especially in New York, it's like, it's crawling with therapists. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And, and if you feel able, and I know it feels intimidating for a lot of people to do it, but feel free to confront them. You know, like we encourage clients to confront stuff all the time. You can confront us. (laughs) You totally deserve to. So if something has grown stale or you feel like they're not as present as they used to be, or they're not challenging you enough or they're pushing you too much, tell them, you Mm -hmm. know, yeah. yeah. Or if you feel like they're not taking you seriously, I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, women face that in all, uh, women especially face that in all sorts of uh, medical situations. Yeah. And 
um, especially in therapy, the person that you're paying to listen to you should be taking you seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, if people want to find you using the internet, uh, usually how would they find you? Let's see. So on the world wide web, um, (laughs) I have a website for my personal practice, which is www.meetlindsay, M-E-E-T-L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, like come and meet me, that's my name, (laughs) .com, www.meetlindsay.com. And then my group practice is www.intuitivehealingnyc.com. And the deal with the group practice is that I have a couple of amazing clinicians who work here with me and we're a team together. Uh, We have a very similar style outlook on therapy and the way that we work. So uh, if you want to work with me or find me and I can't take you on, perhaps one of them can and they're fabulous as well. Cool. Um, I will link to all of that in the show notes. Um, And I will also link to the resource you were talking about for finding therapists, um, psychology today. Psychology today, yeah. Is that good for like anywhere in the country? It's good for anywhere in the country. And then I'll also mention Open Path, which I think is a really important one to mention. That is one of the best resources for finding lower fee therapy. Mm. It's $50 or under per session. Um, If you do decide to go outside of your insurance, insurance, it might be even cheaper than that. But uh, that's just www.openpath.com, I believe, or it may be Open Path Collective. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, Lindsay Pratt, thanks so much for being on the show and talking yeah. about therapy with us. Thank you so much. And I wish all of you great luck on your therapeutic journeys. <laughs> it's so worth it to do the work. And thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shoflam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes and for help subscribing, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at justonemorepod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash justonemorepodcast, or you can email us at info at justonemorepodcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.